Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. Memphis, Tennessee. And one day I found myself a little bit late to an engagement that was a couple of miles away. Normally I'm a very punctual, on-time person, but this particular day I was was one of those, you've been there, if you get in the car and everything, you know, every light was green, everyone got out of your way, you might be on time, which this is Memphis, I don't know, it's just a larger version of Little Rock, that doesn't really ever happen. But I thought... Maybe if I pushed the limits of the legal system in my car, I might get there. So I got in my car and I took off. The very first car that I got behind, I was a little ways out of town going into town. It was like a blue Honda. And this guy in the blue Honda, for whatever reason, decided to actually follow the speed limit. And he actually went a little bit below the speed limit, you know, on the rare occasion in Memphis that somebody does that. And I was behind him. And, you know, I could see he had a lot of bumper stickers on the back of his car, and, and I just, get out of the way. And finally, I had a place where I could get around him, and whoop, I got around him. And for the next 10 or 15 minutes, and it was just a few miles, but in cities, you know, that can take a while, I would push the limits, so to speak. If somebody was trying to, you know, kind of edge out in front of me, this happens sometimes with preachers, not today, you're not getting in front of me, I would go. You know, yellow lights were go real fast type of thing, and... I I tried to keep it legal and all of those things. But I did everything in my power to get to this location on time. And I got, eventually you get in the city, the traffic gets, the lanes get bigger. It was six lanes of traffic. I get to a traffic light, a big intersection. There's six lanes my way, probably at least that many the other way. I was very, very close to my destination. I was, you know, timing-wise, it was going to still be, it was cutting it. But as I pulled up, there was a traffic light. It was red. I knew I was probably going to hit this one red because it was such a big intersection. And as I stopped there, another car pulls up beside me. And, you know, do you ever have that feeling where you know somebody's kind of looking at you or there's just something about something beside you that you need to be aware of? And I just felt that. I'm staring, you know, my wheel like, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I just knew it. I don't, couldn't tell you what it was. So finally... I decided I looked over at the car beside me, and there was that blue Honda that I had passed miles and miles back minutes ago, who was going below the speed limit, mind you, was exactly at the same spot I was. And I realized all of my efforts to get there on time resulted in absolutely nothing. It gained me nothing. I was still stuck at the same traffic light as this guy who had the audacity to go below the speed limit. And you laugh because you've done it too. Don't sit there. I don't ever. I'm always on time. I know some of you are never on time, but it's just no names. I won't say anything or anything. But you know, it's just it's frustrating, and it's frustrating because we are kind of an instant gratification society. We want what we want, and we want it now, don't we? And it has just been exacerbated over over the past couple of decades. We have things now that that blow us away that we get frustrated at how long it takes. I mean, I can pull out my phone. And I can click on a a video that somebody sends me with, like, Facebook Messenger. And it's a video of something that took place on the other side of the world just a couple of seconds ago. 
maybe a minute ago. And I can watch the video and I can click on the little thing that, you know, says the little circle with the arrow in it to play it. And I get the spinning wheel of death for a minute. You know, the, that little thing that did, 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 did. And do you get mad when that happens? You do. You're sitting there. Come on. Come on. And it is something that took place on the other side of the world. And here in a few seconds, you can watch it. I mean, just 50, 100 years ago, when people went to the other side of the world, they got on the boat that they would have to go to get there. You may never see them again. You'd be like, good, good to know you. I mean, if you got a letter from them, it was months after it had been written. And we get frustrated if we can't see a video. My kids, they were introduced not long ago to the concept of commercials on television. You know, they watch TV, but it's usually Netflix or Amazon where, you know, the commercials, they aren't in there. And old shows from the 90s, they're like, why does it just stop at a weird spot in the middle for a few seconds? I'm like... That's where they used to have conversations you never thought you'd have to have with your kids. But then, you know, they'll watch a show on actual television and a commercial comes on. And they're like, what is this? Like, it's a commercial. Why is there a commercial? Well, they have to advertise and you try and explain it. I don't want to watch this. Nobody really wants to watch this, but that's what it is. And they're like, well, get rid of it. Fast forward. You can't fast forward it. You know, it's this instant gratification. And often that spills into our spiritual lives as well, doesn't it? We expect, we have certain things we'd like to see happen spiritually. Certain things in our, our Christian walk, our journey, that we kind of think this would be good. This would help, be helpful to me spiritually, helpful to my family, helpful to our church. And so God, you should probably make it happen. And make it happen quick. And the problem is God just doesn't work that way very often, does he? I mean, just a cursory glance at some of the main characters of the Bible find God's not very fast. Noah, from the moment that God told Noah he was going to destroy the world with a flood, do you know how long it was before that actually happened? About a hundred years. So go back to 1919, Very few people, I don't know if anybody here can actually go back that far. But imagine getting some information, and it's a hundred years before it happens. We don't know that God told him, hey, it's going to be a hundred years from now. Abraham was told he was going to be the father of a great nation. He didn't have any kids at the time. And God tells him this. You're going to be the father of a great nation. That means he's got to have at least one child. How long before it actually happened? Twenty-five years. I was graduating high school 25 years ago. I can't imagine getting promised something then going, well, great. I would assume by college I should have it 25 years later. David was anointed king by Samuel. He was a young boy at the time. Do you know how long it was before he became king? 15 to 20 years. And not only was it a long time before David actually became king, what happened in between? Was it rosy? Was it a wonderful experience? He was hunted like a dog for most of the time by the current king, Saul. And so we see these are just a few. There's others that you could look at where you see these these events, these things that God's going to do in their lives. But a long time takes place between when they hear it and when it happens. And the way God works. We know the verse in 2 Peter, a thousand years is as a day to God and a day is as a thousand years. And sometimes we wish it was just a day, you know, come on now. And that brings us to, the, to chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. And one of the interesting things about, I would tell you this, whenever you read through the Bible, is to ask this question. When you read a passage of Scripture, or you read a, a, a section, is to ask yourself, why is it here? 
Why did the Holy Spirit inspire the writer to write this and have it recorded for us? Because when you look at chapter 7, we're going to look at the first 13 verses this morning. But look at verse 14 for just a moment. Verse 14 says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. And so we know it's not until verse 14 that the, the recordings of the teachings really of Jesus are going to kick in. It could have pretty much just started there. But John, the writer, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to have this build-up information. These first 13 verses that lead up to the feast, lead up to the transition here to Jerusalem. Why? Well, I think it has to do with, with timing. You're going to see in here that there's the very first part. Jesus' brothers say, hey, man, you need to get to Jerusalem. You need to make yourself known. Jesus says, nope, that's not how it's going to be. But then he does. He does go up to Jerusalem, and then we see what's going on there before Jesus kind of steps into teaching and, and, and making himself known there. And really what these opening verses do here in chapter 7 is kind of set up, and I'll bring it together at the end. What's going to go on in chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9? Because God is doing something. There's a particular way in which he's working through his son Jesus here, through these verses, to get to a point of saying, listen, this is what I'm all about. And as we see in these opening verses, from the brothers' perspective anyway, it doesn't make any sense to them. They have different ideas. They have a different timetable. And what we can learn through this, there's a couple of different things we'll look at this morning, but ways that we can learn to work on God's timetable. Not always be in a rush. Not always saying, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this going on? But say, God, how are you working? What are you doing? And how can I be involved? So if you would stand this morning in the honor of God's word, we're going to read John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 13. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you inspired John to record it. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, that we would learn to work as you've called us to work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Working on God's timetable. First, the point that, well, you kind of have to see a little bit more than just here in John, but throughout the New Testament is always be busy for the kingdom. Working on God's timetable is always be busy for the kingdom. This chapter opens up after this Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him and the Feast of Booths was at hand. Okay, so John sets up chapter 7. We're moving in a different direction than the previous chapters. If you go back to chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
So chapter 5 talks about a different feast, and here we're at the Feast of Booths. Okay, unless you're really up on the the religious ceremonies, you might not know what's going on. But the feast in chapter 5 most likely was referring to the Passover, the Passover feast, which was one of the feasts that the Jewish people were to attend in Jerusalem. Jesus went to that one. And so in in Jerusalem, or the feast that was going on in Jerusalem, that would have taken place in the spring. You know, our Easter kind of corresponds at the same time as the Passover because the Passover, remember Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at the end of Passover. And so that would have been in the springtime. The Feast of Booths, which we see here in chapter 7, takes place in the fall. It takes place at the end of September, first part of October. It was a very popular feast. It was a feast that they, they lived in little tents or booths. So what they were called to commemorate when they were wandering in the desert back when, when Moses was leading them. And so it was... They, they enjoyed that feast. It was a big deal. And so that was takes place in the fall. So there was this period of six months, give or take, from this, the, the feast that takes place at the beginning of chapter 5 to this feast here in the fall. And John doesn't really record what goes on during the interval. He just ends in chapter 6, which would have been, if you look at chapter 5 and 6, the events are fairly close, right there at the, at the Passover in the spring. And then chapter 7, he's jumped all the way to the fall. So what goes on in between? Well, John doesn't record much, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that during that period, the interval in between these feasts, Jesus was busy with his disciples. Yes, he did a few things. He did feed 4,000. In addition to here, he fed 5,000. We saw that. And he does some fairly large miracles. But the vast majority of the time, he's with the 12 disciples. This is when he just speaks to them in a lot of parables. It's the first time he instructs them that he's going to die and rise from the dead. He begins to instruct them about their mission and their ministry. He is spending time investing in his disciples. Because after Jesus dies, rises from the dead, and ascends into heaven, who has the job of taking the gospel to all of the world? These men. You see, Jesus, we all know what is his primary mission here on earth when he came. To die on the cross rise from the dead so that we can repent of our sins we can turn to god we have a pathway to heaven that's why jesus came that's what the old testament talks about that's what the new testament looks back to that's what revelation what i read about this morning and what jesus did is dying on the cross for our sins but while he was here he didn't just do that he had a three-year-long ministry leading up to it and primarily during those three years what did he do he spent it with the 12 day in and day out instructing them So that after he's gone, they can carry on what they were supposed to do. And so here, Jesus is all about discipling. He's spending all of this time. Everybody, as we're going to see, is kind of pointing to Jesus being a conqueror and Jesus doing all of these things. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem eventually to die on the cross. But not before he spends time with his disciples. And why this is important for us to always be busy for the kingdom is we have a tendency in society just at large to always be looking for the next big thing. You think about when we talk to our young people, our our kids in school, what are we always talking about? What are you going to do with your life? Where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do for a living? Then they get to college. What are you going to do for a living? What are you going to do for a job? You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. It's always what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? When are your kids going to move out? When are you going to retire? Oh, that's that long. No, I'm just kidding. You know, you think about it. But you think, what's next? What's next? Spiritually, we can. We're going to go on a mission trip next summer. Or we're going to do this, that, the other. We forget about what about today? August 25th. 
Are you busy about the kingdom now? Are you busy about making disciples in your home and in your own life today? Or is it always something, well, I'll get to that or it's, it's coming up? Bill shared during the announcements time about Right Now Media, and he shared about HomePoint and those things that we put out there. It's not just this cool area that looks kind of neat in the back of the, the foyer. It's a place to go and say, here's a, a card I can take home and, and, and look about a way to get involved with my child and instill the values of Christ in him today. Or I can work on my marriage with my wife today. And when I go to a restaurant after church and I see people there and I talk to them about the kingdom. Because today is the time to be busy about the kingdom. So point number one in this is always be busy for the kingdom. Point number two is always be watching your motives. Verse three, we learn a little bit about Jesus' family. It says his brothers said to him, these are his biological brothers, Matthew chapter 13 gives us their names. At this time, it says there in verse uh, um, 5, not even his brothers believed in him. At this time, they didn't believe in him. James and Jude, they eventually, they write passages or, or books of the Bible. They become very stalwart followers of Jesus, but at this point, they aren't. And so they said to him, you got to leave or leave here. This is Galilee. Leave Galilee, go to Judea. Your disciples may see the works you're doing. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known publicly. And then it says that they didn't, they didn't believe in him at this point. And so the brothers are saying, listen, you're Galilee. Let's just call it this. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of, I don't want to say podunk. You know, just, there's nothing really going on there. Jerusalem was the capital. It's the New York City or the Los Angeles. And they're saying, listen, you know, they don't believe in him. They're skeptical. And they said, you need to go down to where it's happening. You're doing all this stuff up here where you're not going to be noticed and nothing's going on. You need to head down to Jerusalem. That's where the religious leaders are. That's where the people are. That's where the movers and shakers are. And if you're really interested in doing these things that you're doing in this kingdom that you're talking about, that's where you need to be. And it's clearly that this is what they were focused on. This is what they were all about. Jesus, though, says, no, that's, that's not it. He says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. That's in reference to the fact that they're not followers of his yet. They can go to the feast. They can do whatever they want. They're not going to get in trouble because they're part of the world at this point. But Jesus, on the other hand, can't. The world cannot hate you. It hates me. Why? Because I testify about its works that they're evil. Jesus realizes in the timing of his father. Remember, Jesus and the father, he only does what the father wills. He said that numerous times in here. They're on the same page. This is not my time. I know a lot, I'll just, this is a little side note because this bothers people. Jesus says in, in verse 8, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, but he does go up. People go, oh, Jesus lied. No, he didn't lie. That word for not or not yet is, is three times here in this section. Verse 6 where it says, my time has not yet come. Verse 8 where it says, you go up to the feast. I am not going up for my time has not yet come. It's all the same word. Okay, it's, there's not there's a lot of... Greek words don't have perfect translations into English. It's an essence of saying Jesus isn't going up in the way they want him to. He is going to go up, but that's why it says in the next section, he goes up in private, not publicly. But he's saying, I'm not going up the way you want. You have your motives, but that's not what God wants. It wouldn't work the way you think it should work. The world, you're, the world's cool with you guys because you're not really followers of mine, but they don't like me. They're seeking to kill me. We see that several times just in this section. This isn't what God is all about at this point. 
And we can learn from this passage about us in our prayer lives. Because all of us have, have prayed, and we don't always get the answer we want. And we come up to verses that, that are struggles for us. Let me give you just a few. I think they may be on the screen. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The Gospel of John later records this in chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Last one, James 4, 2 through 3, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We have these verses about prayer, about going to the Father, about praying and asking for things, about, hey, you'll get it. Ask in my name. Ask according to my will. Ask with the right motives. But many of us in here have asked for things that we think perfectly in line with what God would want, that make sense spiritually. They're good things. But that doesn't happen. And if you look at what happens here in the first part of chapter 7, what the brothers ask of Jesus, there's nothing wrong with it, is there? Go, you've got to leave here, you've got to go to Judea, Jesus. Nobody wants to be known. I mean, you clearly are talking about a kingdom. You're clearly preaching. You've drawn large crowds. If you're talking all about these wonderful, amazing things, you need to go where you'll be heard more. You can get a bigger crowd. It makes sense. But it's not what Jesus is, it's not what God has in store at this moment. I think of Peter. Remember when Jesus first, well, he started to tell Peter and, and the disciples that he would have to die? And what did Peter say? No, can't have that happen. And what, how did Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty, pretty stern response. But what, G, what Peter said there, does it, on the surface, I mean, we know everything, you know, the whole, the whole package. But at that moment, does it sound bad? Jesus said, they're going to kill me. And Peter's like, no, you're a leader. You're doing all of these great things. That, that can't be good. Even the disciples in Acts, the first chapter. We all know Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You probably heard it if you don't know it right off the top of your head. Where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the Great Commission, as Luke records it in Acts. But just two verses before that, the disciples, they're wondering, is this when Jesus is going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still interested, or still thinking, maybe Jesus is about to set himself up as king, and, and, and we're going to get rid of the Romans and all of that, and Jesus is no. But is there anything wrong with saying, hey, we want Jesus to be the king? We see this in the Bible. We're asking for things. You see people asking Jesus, talking about things, saying, this seems good. This seems like it would be right in line with what God would want. There's nothing here that's out of line that way, but it's still not on God's timing. And as I read passages like this, and I look at this, and I look at those verses on prayer, it makes me think of my time praying. Because if you're like me, you've prayed for things, sometimes important things. And it just seems to be nothing. And it can be, you know, 
Some people get frustrated. I'm done with this. I get frustrated. What is it? But this is the one to remind me. I need to stop, step back, and say, well, what is God doing? He is clearly not answering the prayer the way I think he should, which is good because he's God and I'm not. And there are things that I know that are going on that I don't know about. And there are ways that he's working that I don't necessarily know about. And how is he trying to lead me, teach me, show things to me, and reveal things to me in my life and in this world? We all see things in our culture, in our church, in our families. We say, God, this, this is the way it should be fixed. Jesus, this is the way you should be a Messiah. And Jesus says, no, you're missing it. There's bigger things here than you know about. And it's a challenge to me in my prayer life. It's not just some, you know, here's a cookie cutter answer for your preacher. It's just simply saying, listen, as we pray, as we we, we work with God, as he, he works in our lives and challenges us in our prayer lives to simply say, God, what are you doing? Show me. Help me understand. Just as, as his brothers would have here. Just as the disciples would have. Just as Peter, when, when Jesus says he's going to die. Show us how you're working. As we get to the last section of this, we see the final point. Always be looking for God's movement. We're going to look at our motives, look how God's working, then see what he's doing. Verse 10 through 13 says this, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly but in private. So Jesus doesn't go in a big public manner. Partially because when he does finally show up in Jerusalem in a public manner in the triumphal entry, he dies a week later. That's not what he has in store here in this section. The Jews were looking for him, verse 11, at the feast, saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. Some said he's good. Some said he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, and when it says Jews here, it's talking about the religious leaders, no one spoke openly of him. So we have this little bit of information. Jesus is on his way up. He shows up in secret. He doesn't say anything here. There's nothing recorded about how he responds while he shows up. But it gives us this little picture of what's taking place at the feast. And Jesus is the topic of conversation. And there's different ideas. Some people say he's good. Now, are they correct? No, not really. I mean, we might think they're closer to being correct than anyone else by saying Jesus is good, but he's not good. We have a lot of people today that say Jesus is a good man. In fact, most people will say Jesus was a good man. It's when he says he's the Messiah and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords where they get a little upset with you. But they seem a little bit closer. But some people are saying he's good. Some people say he's leading us astray or he's leading people astray. This eventually becomes the main charge of what leads to his crucifixion. He's a deceiver. He is... A blasphemer. He's taking people away from the true religion of Moses in the Old Testament. But nobody says anything publicly because they're afraid of the leaders. You know, it's like at your job. All of you have had a job where you, you've got coworkers and you talk about the boss or you talk about the company and you're, I think it's this. But nobody gets up in a, a business meeting and says, let me tell you what I think about the boss. Nobody does that unless you want to get fired. Okay? You keep that on the down low. Well, nobody really wants to say anything about Jesus here because the religious leaders haven't given their final verdict. They haven't told the people what to think. And if they get it wrong, because if the religious leaders, as we're going to see here in just a second, whatever they determine about Jesus determines your standing in society. And so there's this little picture that we get here that John records to say this is the the temperature, so to speak, of the people in Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus shows up, privately. 
and he's getting ready to teach. He doesn't come with big fanfare. He doesn't come because he's not showing up like he does at the triumphal entry or he's leading right up to the crucifixion. He comes here because he's got a specific purpose. Jesus is dividing the people into two camps, those that are with him and those that aren't. You can see that in John chapter 7, from here, beginning in verse 14, it's the Feast of Booths, and Jesus teaches. And he teaches, and we'll see this as we go through. He's talking about certain things that correspond to the feast. There's this little snippet in chapter 8 about the, the woman caught in adultery. He goes back to teaching. And then in chapter 9, there's this instance of a, of a blind guy. Jesus heals the blind guy, and there's this big back and forth with him and his parents and the religious leaders. And I want you, if you can, just turn over to chapter 9 very quickly. I want you to look at verse 34. Verse 34 says, They answered him, this is the Jewish leaders, They answered him to this blind man who Jesus had healed. He said, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? So there's this, Man, Jesus heals, and there's this whole back and forth, and we'll get there at some point, but chapter 7 builds to this. And the religious leader said, listen, are you with Jesus, in essence, or are you with us? He's like, hey, I'm with the guy that healed me. I'm with the guy that took a blind man and let him see, and I'll take the consequences. They said, you're out. You're not part of society anymore. That's what it meant to be cast out. You're out of the synagogue. You're out of... What would have been in the first century, your your access to whatever you needed to survive, so to speak, to be a part of the community. You're done. You're with this Jesus, then you're not a part of this world. You're not a part of our culture. You're not a part of us. You see, Jesus, before he's crucified, not long after all of this, Jesus is saying, okay, in the first few chapters, this is who I am. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm the lamb to take away the sins of the world. And then in the middle section here, he said, All right, and are you with me or are you against me? Are you part of me? Are you over there? You see this in here. He talks about being the good shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd has sheep that hear his voice. They're different than all of the other ones. He talks about being the gate. There are those on one side of the gate and on the other side. He's the one that divides the two and allows one into the other to be part of God's kingdom. Jesus is, is, yes, he's, he's creating, as they all thought, a kingdom. He's creating a world. He's creating followers, but not in the way they thought, not some political revolution, but a spiritual group of people. As we saw way back when, when I first got here in First Peter, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is what God's all about here, beginning in chapter 7. And you have to see the movement of God in our world That God is doing things all the time, every day in our lives for his kingdom. Some of the ways we can miss it, we have so much talk in our world today about immigration. And everyone's like, oh man, what's he going to say about immigration? Some think defense, some get rid of the fence, this, that, and the other thing. Here's the thing, what does the Great Commission teach us? Go where? To all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go to all over the world. For the first time in the history of the world, through the way people travel, the way people move around, and the fact that, you know, when I talked about smartphones and social media and all that, we actually have the ability to reach the entire world. And the world's coming to us. 
We have IFO. It's a ministry the church supports, International Friends Outreach. These are people from other parts of the world that we can teach the gospel to. We get so caught up in our little kingdom that we forget, no, this is God's kingdom. This is God's world, and he told us what to do. And there are people out there that need to hear the gospel. If he brings them to us, then we teach them. There are things happening all the time. One of the biggest fights, my wife, and she's teaching Sunday school this morning, so hey, hey. <laughs> Arguments, disagreements, it was, you'll find this humorous, I think. It was early on in our marriage. We had only been married for maybe a year. We didn't have any kids yet, and we had gone to Florida for the coast for a little vacation. And we were making our way back to Mississippi. That's where we lived at the time. I was in school. And we were driving through Alabama. And we're driving on this road. There's not a whole lot to see in Alabama. And we're driving along the road, and we came past Troy University. I didn't go to Troy. She didn't go to Troy. We don't know anybody that went to Troy University. But she said, I would like to stop and visit the campus. I thought this was crazy. We needed to get home. We had things to get done. We had to get back to jobs and our lives and everything. And I just kind of, yeah, whatever. You're driving along, and it gets, you know, you have a few signs. You have a mile or two before you get there. Well, there it is, and I just zoop, went past. So I, I feel, you know, what I said at the beginning about feeling the stare? I had the stare, and I realized, you know, later on she told me, you know, we, we, this is years ago. She's like, I began to rethink what I had done. I mean, we're married. I'm stuck with you, but God, what did I do? You know, she just thought this. It was so bad that we got, you know, a mile or two down the road. We had to turn around and go back, and that didn't really fix it. But, you know, we still talk about Troy. So I don't know if you've ever been to Troy. It was nice. It was a nice campus. But what it did, it did help us realize that we're just two different people. I'm usually, you know, there's point A, there's point B. You can get to point B as fast as you can get there. That's, there's the, the you schedule B if you want to go see something else. In between, she's more like go, and there's all sorts of things in between here and there, and let's see what there is to offer. And what I have learned in life is her method is a little more along the lines of how God sees us going through this world. Sometimes we just kind of we can get saved and think, all right, God, let's get as quickly as we can to the, you know, let's get it all together. But God just... As we journey through life, there are lots of things he puts in our path. There's an old joke for pastors that said, this is the greatest line of work if it wasn't for the people. And I'm like, that's you. So you're like, wait a minute. Hey, hey. And I say that because, you know, there's the, you know, all of the interruptions that come, the knocks on the door, the phone calls or whatever. But one of the things you quickly realize is that is actually ministry. That is actually what God has called me to do. But I've also come to realize it's not what he's called me to do. It's what he's called all of us to do. You're going to go to work maybe today, maybe tomorrow, and you think my job is to go and earn a living to put food on the table. No, it's not. Your job is to get up tomorrow and say, what is God doing? Where is he moving? Yes, I have to work and put food on the table. I'm not saying you don't do that. But in the midst of that, we're looking at how he is working in this kingdom. What is he doing? He does things in ways that if we're just not paying attention, we're busy getting from point A to point B, you're going to miss it. There are going to be people. They're going to be your children. They're going to be your grandchildren. They're going to be neighbors. There are going to be things that come into your life that seem like a distraction, a nuisance, when it's actually God saying it's time for you to minister. And so God's timetable is not like ours. 
but we're always busy about the kingdom. We're looking as we pray and we're saying, God, sometimes I don't see it. I'm praying. I'm asking for things that seem good. You're doing something different. Reveal things to me so I can see how you're moving. See what you're doing in this world. His disciples eventually pick up on this. But they have to hear from Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Cornerstone Bible Fellowship. Please join us for our full worship service this coming Sunday at 10 a.m. Also, you may listen to any past sermon by going to cbf.us slash sermons and clicking on the link to past sermons.